Hey friend, are you struggling to find consistent paid speaking gigs? Do you want to know the exact six steps that you can take to find and book more paid speaking opportunities in 2024? Well, we want to make that easy for you. We've created a new free resource with the help of Dan Irvin, one of our highly successful speakers on our team. Dan has booked over $100,000 in paid speaking gigs in the last few years, and his six-step process is going to help you maximize your chances of getting booked and paid to speak in any industry. You're going to learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, and proposal emails and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps and we're going to send you this 18-page guide straight to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps and you're going to get that free guide. Hey, thanks for listening. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, friends? Graham Bolden here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Thrilled to have you here with us today for episode 339 to hear my conversation with friend and colleague, Mr. Mike Pacione, about creating your talk. So today we're going to be covering it all with Mike as we discuss starting and ending points for a presentation, organizing your thoughts into meaningful content, and then also ensuring that our message has a clear destination. You never want to leave the audience leaving going, well, what was the point of that? Or why does that matter? Or how does that apply to me? Now, many of us have transitioned from face-to-face to virtual events over the past year, which brings its own set of challenges as we engage our audience. So Mike's going to talk about what it looks like to be well-prepared, have, have the ability to adjust on the fly, and the importance of how we want our audience to feel uh, when we are presenting and speaking. We're also going to be talking about how to process audience feedback, make adjustments for in-person versus virtual to maximize the success of your talk. Mike is just a huge wealth of knowledge. No matter where you're at in your speaking career, uh, you're going to have something that you're going to learn and take away from what he shares in this episode. So let's jump right in. Here's my conversation on creating your talk with Mike Pacione. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, friends? Graham Bolden here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. So good to have you here with us today. Today, we are joined by a friend of the program, friend of uh, our company here, uh, Mike Pacione. Mike has been on episode uh, 263, and he was on episode nine. Do you remember that? I do remember that. I was thinking, I was, I was, this is ridiculous, but I was thinking about how you used to be able to buy like the the best of Tom Hanks hosting SNL DVD <laughs> from multiple. And I was, I was thinking someone who's really bored might do that with my with you. Lab appearances. With you. Yeah. You're going, you're going to have a best of, uh, so we have gone from, uh, episode nine, episode 263, and then episode, whatever this is going to be. So Mike, good to have you here with us hey. again. Uh, so Mike is a, a speaker coach works with a lot of different speakers, a, a great presenter uh, himself as well. But one of the things we want, uh, he actually works with a lot of, uh, speakers inside the speaker lab and speakers inside of our programs and helping them create and develop their talk. So I wanted to just kind of walk through that process because it's, it's one of the more intimidating, one of the more difficult parts of the process of everyone likes the idea of, of being a speaker. And when you see a good speaker, whether it's a, a TED talk or uh, you see someone give a, you know, a, a keynote or a presentation, uh, it just seems like, oh, they just, they just, it's just natural. Like they just say some things and it comes out in a, a fluent, congruent way. And it's like, there's so much that goes on behind the scenes. So I want us to kind of talk through that process. So uh, let's assume a speaker comes to you and they, they have a rough idea of like, okay, I know who I want to speak to. I know what I want to speak about. Um, we've worked with them on that. And now they're trying to just think through, like, I got a really rough idea for the talk. I have a couple points or stories, or here's this thing I want to talk about. Uh, where do you begin? What's that process kind of look like of, of really how the sausage is made? Yeah, totally. And you make it, first of all, you make a great point, Grant, that when you see someone on stage, it looks real easy. Right. One of the things, first conversation I always try to tell people, 
the way that this should feel at the end of it is it should feel like it's a friend who is on stage who happens to be really smart about your subject. Hmm. Because that's true. When, when, a, when a presentation is really good, you forget it's a presentation. The mm -hmm. problem is like, getting there is not easy. I mean, there are only so many Grant Baldwins that can just stand and deliver, you know? Not so much. Um, but, the, the, but I mean, in all seriousness, when I've done really well, I've put a lot of work into it. I know that's true for you too. So the mm -hmm. starting point is to, is to give people permission to just get the ideas out of their head, truthfully. Mm. Um, I always ask some questions at the beginning about, you know, it's helpful to know who the intended audience is for sure. I always want to know how they want the audience to change as the real result of the presentation. I want to know what's at stake for the audience. Those things are important, but like seriously, for a starting point, it's here's your overall topic. Let's get the ideas out of your head. So every statistic, you know, testimonials you might have, stories you might tell, examples, uh, scientific journal article that you once read that contributes to this topic. Get all of that stuff out of your head. Let me make a comparison for you. When my wife and I were getting married, we, because I can't just leave speeches, the world of organizing speeches to speeches. So we approached our, our wedding guest list the way that you would approach a speech. What I mean by that is I'm like, okay, we came up with a criteria, what we were looking for in a guest. I said, all right, so let's, instead of sitting here and just like debating every last name, just be like, Grant, should we invite Grant? Well, I don't know, I kind of like, right, that's what you would usually do. It's let's write down every single person you can think of that fits that criteria. Let's metaphorically put their name on a wall. We really did it in Excel, but metaphorically put their name on the wall. And then once we've got all that in front of us, now let's make some informed decisions. Yeah. It's really the same thing with a speech. It's like a, a presentation is a big math problem. You're shooting for something that's 30 to 45 minutes long. So if you're like most people, you're talking about something that you're pretty good at, you know pretty well, you have way more than 30 to 45 minutes. First thing you need to do is to get all the information in front of you so that you can start picking and choosing the stuff that's most valuable. Right. I want to go back to something you uh, you touched on there where you're 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 even before you can begin that process, you're figuring out uh, what's at stake for the audience, um, what the what the changes that you want them to see. What would do you have any examples of that of what that could look like, of what the stakes could be, and what the change could be? Like what what should we be thinking about there? What are the the criteria we're looking for there? Yeah, totally. So I'm working with a guy right now, and this is a great example. He's presenting to middle managers. I don't know if that's literally what he told me, but that, that's basically who his audience is. So I'm like, okay, well, give me, give me what it looks like for the world of a middle manager. And they have to, they're just between worlds. They feel like they don't have that much authority. It feels cool to get promoted. Some of them have been stuck there for a while. So where are they at the beginning? It's like, they feel like they don't have a whole lot of authority. They feel like everything boils down to numbers and therefore the numbers dictate all of their actions. Mm -hmm. where he wants them to be by the end of the talk is to realize that the numbers will go up if you treat your employees better. So little things, if you know their names, maybe you know what sports team they root for, you know what their Starbucks order is. And when you start treating them as more of friends, that will, that will help, uh, that will overall help your numbers. So starting point is the numbers are the only thing that matters. All relationships take a backseat to that too. Ending point. Oh, I see where relationships can help make the whole thing come together, come together better. And that will help my team as a whole and it will help our numbers. Yeah. Starting point, ending point.
Gotcha. So it's really, I always heard the analogy of it. It's kind of like a road trip. You want to pick the audience up at the same point uh, and get everybody on the same page of where you are and then have a really clear destination of, I know in 30, 45, 60 minutes, here's where we need to end up. Now, what happens between point A and point B can look a lot of different ways, but if you don't know where you're going, yeah. uh, then you're certainly never going to end up in the, in the destination that you you hope to be. So totally, yeah. Yeah. That. yeah. Otherwise it's just getting in the car like, okay, let's go left. Right, right, right. Uh, so you then at the point where you're you're doing the brain dump, uh, it sounds like, yeah. and you're just writing everything down. Is there any certain form that that takes? Are you talking about like post-it notes or a whiteboard or an yeah. Excel spreadsheet or just a Google Doc or uh, pen and paper? What does that look like? Yeah, when it's face to face, I love doing it on post-it notes for obvious reasons. Be able to move it around uh, minimizes the amount you can write to, which mm. is helpful. Virtually, I've been doing it over. Uh, Google Docs. So what'll happen is if, if I'm helping you, Grant, I'm asking you questions, you're saying it out loud, and I'm just typing it into a spreadsheet. And then once we do that, and I, I arbitrarily say we're going to do it for 10 or 15 minutes. There's no science behind that. It just yeah. seems like a good amount of time. Then I go back, I say, okay, Grant, or insert name of person I'm helping. Uh, let's, let's try to organize this because these, these big clumps could, or all these different thoughts you have could go into a bunch of different clumps. How do you want to organize it? That's where we go from there. And then the tricky part is once you hit the, the clump stage, there are a bunch of different ways that the speech can take form. So, I mean, the obvious thing is here are the three reasons why you should do blank. Mm -hmm. That's you learn that in high school English class. That's a good way to do a speech, but Sometimes the thing that makes it pop is when it's more of a list. And you've probably seen presentations like that too. But just think of, think of some clickbait article that actually made you click. 10 reasons why you should blah, blah, blah. Like the same thing, the same thing works in a speech. Here are, the, here, are the five people you will, here are the five people who will get in your way when you're trying to advance your career. Ooh. You know, mm -hmm. like the, those same things work. So we do have to spend a good amount of time in that organization stage of like, well, how do you want to, how do you want to shape this? Uh, once we've done that, then one of the things that I do is I want the person to, without writing it out word for word, I want them to speak to each of those, what would be a post-it line in Excel spreadsheet, whatever you want it to be. But I, I, wanna, I want you to actually speak to that. So uh, I, I will just name that thing out loud. So, okay, Grant, one of the things you said was a story about leaving Missouri. Go. So then you just speak through that. Now, you're naturally not going to have that perfectly fine-tuned. But it gives me an idea of, okay, so this talk is 30 minutes long. If we include Grant's story of leading Missouri, leaving Missouri, sorry, Missouri, uh, if we include enough. that, if we include that, we've got 27 minutes left. So is that something we should include? The, those are the timing. It is really a crucial step. So, so we will literally do that even before we figured out the entirety of this is the first thing, second thing, third thing. When you're even working through the structure, though, and you're thinking through, because uh, you're right there, there. What we learn in English class is the, you know, the intro, the three points, the conclusion. Yeah. You know, tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, tell them what you told yeah. them, that type of stuff. Um, and there's something to be said, like, yeah, that absolutely works. But like you said, there's also other formats that work. It's kind of like a, a movie. You know, a lot of movies follow the, you know, whether it's a, a romantic comedy, you know, the couple gets together through weird circumstances and they break up and then through some other weird circumstances, they get back together. And like, yeah, that works. But there's also a lot of ways to put together a movie. And that's not the only one. So are there other 
formats that you think about like, Hey, this is a good, like there's some that have, uh, you know, three points or five points or some even number or uh, odd another number rather. And some that have just kind of, it's one point that they're giving. Yeah. Is there some that you see that work better than others? Uh, is it possible to have too many points where it's just like, yeah, you got 10 points, but they're going to forget eight of them. Uh, yeah. what do you, how do you kind of think about like, what's yeah. the best format for this and what it is that they want to do? Yeah, it's a hard one. 10 points is great. I mean, we saw David Letterman <laughs> made that mm -hmm. really famous for decades. Do the math on it. Yeah. 10 points, 30 minutes talk. If you've got an intro and an outro that takes any amount of time, two minutes a point. So again, a lot of times it comes back to the math. You know, sometimes you can do 10 minutes, like just, or sorry, you can do 10 points, two minutes. Like that's really concise and that'll work. Uh, more commonly, it needs to be a number less than that. And as you probably pick up on, there's, there's not a magic number, but um, odd numbers tend to work well. So here are the three things or here are the five things, seven. Those are great. Uh, one of the things that you can do to go back to the, like the English class idea, the, okay, here are the three reasons why you need to prioritize your customer service detail, right? Like whatever your talk might be. One of the, one of the, one of the things you can think about is trying to think like the audience. So you and I both know that a lot of times the, the problem that they have is really basic. And the, and the problem for you as the speaker is to get up on stage and share that really basic advice while it actually is solving their problem, the audience tunes out. Mm -hmm. So one of the formats that I've seen is helpful is like, okay, well, you know, if I'm being totally serious, if I'm being totally honest, the three things they need help with are all really basic. What am I going to do? How am I going to make this come alive? So one of the things you can do there is three stories or three use cases, three examples of things that went wrong. And that helps introduce a point that might feel pretty obvious to the audience. Give me an so, example of that. Well, like the most, okay, so the most watched Steve Jobs talk of all time is not the iPhone keynote, I don't think. Is it a Stanford I, commencement It's address? the Stanford one, yeah, which is basically him telling three stories. Stories, yep. yep. That's the whole talk. It's like, here's a story. Here's a story. Here's a story. And each of those has a lesson. Yeah. Uh, the lessons are not revolutionary. If he had just, you know, if he had said, I have three pieces of advice for you, uh, choose, a, choose a career you're passionate about. I mean, it's good advice, but it doesn't land in, in, until you hear this. It lands better with a story leading up to that point than it does starting with the point. Yeah. Uh, one thing you, t you touched on as well is like, as, you're, as you are... Um, kind of creating the skeleton of what the talk's going to be and starting to piece some stuff together. One thing to factor in is time. Uh, how are you thinking about, uh, because there are, uh, there's sometimes where you're working on a specific talk and it's for a specific event and it is a, I know that I have 30 minutes for this yeah. event, but most of the time, like especially for speakers who are going to give that talk more than once, they need it to be 30, 30 minutes and a 45 minute version and right. a 60 minute version. And, you know, uh, and some of it is that uh, you need to, you are preparing for a 45 minute version. And then right before you go on, it actually needs to be a 35 minute version <laughs> and every, everything in between. So it's kind of like these, I always think of it like Lego pieces, you know, that you're kind of like, I'm adding some pieces in at the last minute yeah. or I'm pulling some pieces out. So how are you thinking about when you're working on a talk that it needs to be roughly this long, but I also need to be able to easily expand or contract depending on the situation. 
Hey friends, I got a question for you. Considering where you are in your speaking journey, what are your next steps to take your speaking career to the next level? If your answer is, I I have no idea or I have too many ideas, I don't know where to start, let me give you what I believe is the best next step that you can take. I want you to book a call with the Speaker Lab team today over at thespeakerlab.com slash coach. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash coach to see if our personalized coaching program is right for you. We have helped literally thousands of speakers from all over the world find and book more speaking gigs, and we'd love to see if we could help you as well. Our personalized coaching program features done-for-you websites, done-for-you demo videos, weekly coaching calls, access to all of our educational content. We find speaking leads specifically for you and so much more. You've got the talent. You've got the drive. Let us give you the plan to execute. All you got to do is book your call today by going to thespeakerlab.com slash coach. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash coach. Yeah, one of the things I try to tell people is it's rare that you'll have an organizer that complains about it running to uh, not running long enough. Yeah. 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 45 minute talk does not mean 44, 59. Yeah. Especially if it's part of a bigger event, like things never start on time, especially if there are multiple speakers in a row, you can count on things are running long. So I, I mean, I always tell people to plan on a 45 minute talk, not really being 45 minutes. Um, with that said, to more directly answer your question. So number one, like just know that it's okay if it's short of whatever, whatever that number is that they gave you, it's yeah. okay if it runs short of that. Now, 45 minute talk that's 17. Yeah, that's a problem. But 45 minute talk that's 32, not a problem or unlikely to be a problem. Uh, so more directly answer your question though, like the things that they are to use your metaphor, the, the Lego pieces that you can most easily uh, get rid of or apply are stories and entire other main points. So I guess the the thing that I would, you know, I hadn't thought about it in this way before, but I, I think the way that I would picture that is, okay, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna start by assuming that I'm gonna have a 45 minute speaking slot and I can either expand that to 60 or I can, whatever the opposite of expand is, contract that to, to 30. Uh, how do I do that? So one way of doing that would be to, Instead of it being five things, it's three. Or instead of five, it's seven. That would be the obvious way to do it. Yeah. It can also be getting rid of stories or adding stories to each section. Mm-hmm. It's probably the way to make the most versatile speech. Yeah. Because then you don't have to change the number. of th- There are five. Here are the top five reasons why you need to prioritize customer service. If it's two stories for each section, then it's like, okay, I can just get rid of one. Yeah. And that's, that's the way to make it most versatile. Yeah. That makes sense. So know, like sh- when, Hold on. Can I ask you that question? Because you've... You've had that happen to you. Like, what do you do? Yeah. So I think um, uh, a couple of thoughts. One would be that when uh, when you're creating a talk, you're making an educated guess. Uh, I think this is funny. I think this will make sense. I think this yeah. will resonate. Uh, I think this will work. Um, and so you don't necessarily know until you get up on stage. And so um, there are things that you, you know, maybe you have a, a five minute story that if you have extra time, here's a couple other little Uh, rabbit trails you can take that are somewhat filler, maybe or maybe not relevant, maybe just adds to the humor and you take a joke a little bit further and just add a couple other punchlines to it. Uh, And it just, you just kind of know where you can add um, versus if you, um, uh, 
if you have to cut some stuff, you just immediately know like, okay, I can't tell that story or I'm going to tell that story, but it's going to be shorter than what it normally, it still gets the point across, but I'm not going to go, you know, a, a couple other directions with it, you know, that type of thing. Um, I think you also, over time as a speaker, you, uh, uh, I think a, a lot of great speakers uh, can, within the first minute or so, have a really good sense of how a, the rest of the talk is going to go. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. We're like, okay, I just told my first joke and how they reacted at that. Uh, I have a joke in 30 minutes that they are not going to laugh at. Or they <laughs> yes. are, if they love this, they're going to love that. <laughs> so you're already thinking through like some mental adjustments that you're going to make. Uh, okay, I'm going to go further there, or I'm not going to do as much there, or there's no way they're going to laugh at this. So I'm going to already mentally cut that out. And you're kind of making some of those mental adjustments on, on the fly. Because part, yeah. like, part of being a, a, a great speaker and being a professional speaker is if, if when you show up, if they say, hey, you, you know, well, I was planning on doing 45 minutes, and they, uh, they're like right before they're like, Hey, can you go 50 minutes for 55 or Hey, we're running behind. Can you get us back on schedule and go 30? You don't want to be like, Nope, I'm doing 45. That's what I prepared. Like you gotta, I'm be sorry. Willing. You signed a contract. Yeah. You yeah. gotta be willing like on the fly to like cut those things and make yeah. those adjustments. So you got to kind of know going into it, you know, what some of those things are. And I think some of that again, comes with time. Uh, and, and, and may not be something that, you know, uh, right away. So some of it would be just like taking some of the, the pressure off of yourself of feeling like I got to know from the, the get go. Uh, cause it's, I would say it's also somewhat rare that you would speak and like, right before you go up, they're telling you things got to be cut, you, you know, so you probably have, yeah. you know, a half an hour, an hour, or a couple hours heads up, um, that, Hey, we're running behind or, Hey, this is actually going to be longer than we anticipated, uh, or whatever. Um, and so you you know a few of those things going into it of like okay now I can sit down and like maybe scribble out a couple of thoughts of like okay let's cut this let's cut this let's cut this or let's go a little further here or you know whatever it may be um, so it, yeah I think some of that just comes with experience over time and I think uh, you know what that made me think of the beginning and end are two places where it's great to have backup versions and in general especially for the ending I recommend mentally I've got a short way to end and I've got a longer way to end. Because there are the times where, oh, man, that took, wait a minute, I only have a minute left, right? Like, like you have to be able to wrap it up. But it's so obvious to the audience when you've run out of time, because a, a lot of times speakers will say out loud, and I'm out of time. Like, that's... Should that you say that? Happen. I've never... No, don't say that. Why not? I agree, but why not? Because the ending is the... It's like a movie that you really enjoyed. Well, that, okay, let's talk about The Sixth Sense, that movie. The movie is not that great. It's like, it is a good movie. It's enjoyable. And then the ending, remember the first time you saw it, it's like, oh my gosh. Like that is the, that is what is possible with an ending. The, the ending can trick the audience into thinking it was a better speech than it really was or a worse speech than it really was. Mm. And, and if you're in a situation where you're running out of time and all of a sudden your way of coping with that is just to say, I'm out of time. I, I mean, that, that would be like, I don't know, the lead character in the movie walks out into the street and gets hit by a car and the credits roll, right? Like that's what just happens. Well, you would never want that. So having a, a longer version and a shorter version of the ending, both of which are good, is a great thing to have in your back pocket. Gotcha. Uh, okay, I wanna come back to, we are, uh, you've got an out, you've got the, the, you're starting to put together some type of outline uh, and you're starting to kind of figure out 
what goes where as far as uh, not only what makes the cut, what doesn't make the cut, but I have a great story. Should that be at the beginning? Should that be at the end? Should that be in the middle? Um, Where do you start to figure out what the, I know what the beginning is. I know what the end is uh, as far as like the, here's where we're starting. Here's the destination. How do you kind of figure out? There's a lot of, you know, I'm in Nashville, you're in Portland. If I wanted to drive to see you, there's a lot of different ways to go about getting there. So uh, what, how do you start to figure out what, what route you should, you should take ultimately? Yeah. Uh, so I have a couple of answers for you. So the, the, the best answer is what I learned from our mutual friend, Josh ship, which is beta test it with people. Yeah. I mean, same as you would with an email, like a B test. What if this is the beginning story? What if this is the end story or, or what if it's in the middle? That's, that's the best answer. A lot how, of do you, how do you a B test that? Uh, send a clip. So the, the thing to do there is not to deliver the speech. So don't, don't, so you send a video clip or it could just be audio to people have them fill out an anonymous survey and say, okay, uh, what did you think of this story? Like ask them questions that you actually want feedback to, but the real thing that you're trying to figure out is this story that I think is really good. Did it work where it was? Same thing with another group. Um, With that said, that's a lot of work and not everybody has a group of friends, family members that are willing to sit there and watch your whole talk, listen to your whole talk. So a backup plan is to ask this question. If I tell this story here, how will that make the audience feel? Is that how I want them to feel at this point? So a lot of time, because I've heard people say things like start with your best story. And I'm like, well, maybe. Because if the best story leaves the audience feeling like a, a punch to the gut, but you really want the talk to be lighthearted and humorous. It's like, that's not going to happen now. Like you just killed any chance of your audience laughing at you yeah, or not laughing. You know what I mean? Like laughing at your jokes. So you really have to figure out like, okay, so when I tell this story, what is the lesson I want them to learn? And also how do I want them to feel? And that needs to correspond to that. That needs to correspond to how you want to deliver that part of the talk. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Are you, do you think most speakers at the beginning know, like you mentioned, like if, if you wanted the talk to be more lighthearted or funny, um, do you feel like most speakers know that, uh, as far as like, I want this, I want the the talk to be this, I want it to be funny or I want Mm -hmm. it to be serious or I want it to be inspirational. I want it to be sappy or sad or whatever. Do you feel like most speakers know that? Or, or is it more like, I I don't, here's the main idea, but I, I don't know, um, uh, what I want them to feel on the journey. Yeah, I, I think my answer to you is I would love it if speakers put more thought into that. Because I, I do ask that question when I'm first working with someone. I'm like, how do you want, how do you want this to feel to the audience? How, what type of speech do you want this to be? I feel like there are a couple of answers that come up all the time. One is I want it to be like a Tony Robbins speech. Like everybody says that. And another is I want it to be really funny, which like I can help, you can help. But at the end of the day, I don't work for The Daily Show. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I can make people laugh. But um, so I, I wonder, and it, this is making me think, like, a follow-up question to that would be why. So why do, you want, why do you want the audience to laugh? Why do you want to feel like Tony Robbins? My suspicion is that some of that comes down to applause or laughter because it makes you feel more confident as a speaker. So the pro- if, if that's really about... Like if that answer is really about confidence, maybe there are some things we can do that will just make you more confident in the material 
rather than having to get people to laugh or uh, getting people to, I don't know, whatever Tony Robbins gets people to do. Jump and clap and I was just thinking and... like jump on trampolines. That's not going to apply to every talk. <laughs> <laughs> so as you're putting together the different pieces of it, there are a bunch of different types of com- uh, of components to a talk as far as or things that you tools that you can use, whether that's um, stories or humor or jokes or um, uh, visuals uh, as far as slides or videos or uh, props or any number of things. How do you kind of figure out like what you know what things to include, what things not to include? What makes it, what gets cut? How do you kind of determine that? Yeah. Uh, working with someone else is really helpful. Like working with me, it's helpful with that. Yeah. I have a pretty good idea. I've tried, like, I've tried a lot of stuff. I've tried some stuff that I thought would work. I'm like, ooh, that would steer <laughs> right. Uh, here's what I would say. I mean, most people err on the side of doing things that are safe. I get it. Nobody wants to feel dumb. Nobody wants to tell a joke that doesn't work. Nobody wants to do some demonstration on stage that like, people don't understand why you're doing it. I try to remind people the, the, the bar for presentations is really not that high. Most people who have seen presentations, and especially if you're presenting corporate world, most of the presentations they see are low on energy. It's like someone reading their PowerPoint deck if you do something that has energy to it and you can walk through it confidently, you should, you should feel confident about that. So there are, there are all kinds of things you can do. You can use the audience as a prop. You can, you can show a video, you can tell a joke, tell stories, da da da. Like all of these things can work if you deliver it confidently. Uh, I think, so that's number one that I would say. And then I guess the other thing that I would say to that is one of the questions that you have to ask yourself is always, why am I doing this? Like, what is the lesson learned in bringing an audience member on stage? What's the lesson learned in this story? Whatever that thing is, whatever that, that I don't know, whatever that show-stopping thing is, whether it's a story or bringing people on stage, prop in the audience, it needs to drop the audience off at some sort of lesson learned that either ties up what you were just talking about or leads into what you're about to talk about. So that's, that's the question. Like what lesson is the audience learning from this thing? Well, one thing we were touching on earlier is that when you're creating a talk, it is an educated guess. And I think this will work. I think this makes sense. I think people will get this. Um, Like you mentioned, like sometimes you're like, dang, that worked really, really well. And sometimes Mm -hmm. you're like, that didn't work at all. And I I just, I envisioned that going differently and, and everything in between. Um, so for most speakers, when they're creating a talk and it's going to be kind of this living, breathing organism that you're going to be, you know, telling that story time and time and time again, each time you tell it, it's going to, it's going to get better. Um, so when you're working on a talk and it's, and you are a professional speaker, who's going to give that presentation a lot, how do you take some of the pressure off of feeling like this has to be perfect from day one? And the reality is this is not, you know, I think of it Mm -hmm. kind of like a, like a chef making a, a dish, you know, like they're, I'm going to add some stuff in, oh, that's too salty, or I need to cook that a little bit longer, or it went too short, or whatever it is. Uh, but you don't know until you like experiment, feedback, experiment, feedback, experiment, yeah. feedback. So how do you take some of the pressure off of yourself when you're working on a, a new talk or a new story or a new bit or whatever, of feeling like it needs to be perfect out of the gate? Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I try to tell people is like your, your speech really does not define you. It is extremely unlikely that like this speech makes or breaks your, your, your lot in life. 
Yeah, yeah. If it does, if it does, by the way, if you've got a really big thing, you can get funding or, oh my gosh, my dream audience member is there, then get feedback from a million people before you hit the actual stage. Yeah. Most of us are not given that presentation. So you need to remember, like, this, this is not who you are as a person. Yeah. It's like anything else where uh, just remember that somebody's feedback does not define you. Um, whether the, the joke works, whether the story works, like you deliver it to that audience today. Let's say it doesn't go well, you know, and you walk out of there, you're like, oh man, that didn't go that well. Here's the great thing. The next audience you deliver to is not the same one that you just delivered. <laughs> like your next audience is not the one that you just spoke to. So yeah. guess what? You get to fix it for next time around. And yeah. they never need to know that this is actually version two of the talk. Right. This feels like a friend delivering to me. Yeah. It, uh, it reminded me um, a couple of years ago, I was speaking at a university and I was doing uh, three uh, presentations in the same day uh, for three different audiences. It was the same talk and they were just kind of cycling some students through. And so I had a couple of like student chaperone type type of uh, people with me and um, from the, from the school. And I said, watch this. There's, I'm going to give the exact same talk three times today, the same room, the same jokes, the same punchline, the same bits, all of it. You're going to have three different audiences all at the same school. And it's going to be three different reactions based on how full the room is based mm. on the time of day, based on what was going on before and after. Uh, and sure enough, like they're kind of laughing about it, but yeah, at the end of the day, I was like, I told you it was three different presentations. I said the same thing every time, <laughs> but it's three different presentations. Yeah. And so, yeah, you're, you're exactly right that uh, some of it means that you as a speaker got to take some of the pressure off of yourself of feeling like this has to be flawless from, uh, from the first time you deliver it. Cause it's not. And there's a lot of variables and factors that are in your control and a lot of variables and factors that are completely outside of your control and you, you just have to acknowledge that and, and be aware of that yeah and one of the things there is like what did it how did it feel when you walked in the room i mean you've walked in i'm guessing you've walked in at some point and the it's just like wow there's a weird vibe in here mm -hmm. and you know what as a speaker you can you can try to help that but you can't you can't turn the people in the room into different people like right. they're <laughs> that's who they are. And that's how they feel in this moment. And it does not define you. It doesn't. Uh, I want to wrap up and ask this. When uh, when you're you're creating a talk, there's a lot of thought process that goes into you know how you're going to deliver the talk. But um, we're recording this toward the end of, of 2020, and the world uh, has been weird this year, obviously, and the speaking industry has been different. And so, is there anything that you should be thinking about differently when you are creating a talk with the intention of delivering it virtually? Because uh, just because you're going to uh, just maybe you've given a talk before yeah. in person uh, doesn't always mean that it translates to virtual and just because it works virtually doesn't mean it translates to in person. So is there anything that you do differently when thinking about a talk uh, presented virtually versus in person? Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> uh, all right. So a few things. Number one, try to make it shorter. Just think about it. Think about when you click on a video on YouTube and it's 57 minutes long, like, yep. Oh, I'm not ready to make that commitment versus 21. So, right. right. 21 is not the magic number, but err on the side of making it shorter. 100% err on the side of making it shorter. Uh, second thing, talk a little faster than you usually would. Maybe a better way of saying that is this. In normal life, we are, we're, we're totally comfortable talking around a topic. Just bullet points will work, and I'll figure it out when I'm on stage. That's the way a lot of people are. 
man, again, just think of a YouTube video where the speaker is, is meandering a little bit. Like there's a reason why right now someone's listening to this podcast and they have it on 1.5 speed. It's mm. because when it's on video, you can handle it. When you're, when you're in the room with someone, there's, when you're in the room with someone, there's like other things to look at. The other things to look at when I'm on my computer is like Netflix right behind my computer. <laughs> Everything. Yeah. 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 And there's no, there's no social pressure to pay attention. So uh, speak a little faster than you usually would. Hmm. If you use slides, I would err on the side of more slides for the same reason, yeah. which is it's something else for someone who's change, looking at a computer yeah. to look at. Yeah. Change, 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 change. Uh, and then the other one, it's interesting because I feel like every time you and I talk, we wind up at some point discussing jokes and, oh, uh, that, yeah, that really worked. Oh, I can tell the joke later. Man, I, I think most of us need to be comfortable when we're presenting virtually with not trying to make it funny. I, I'm not saying don't tell a joke, but if the reason why you tell jokes when you're on stage is because that gives you, the laughter gives you confidence. Like you're not going to get that. Mm-hmm. And there, there's a pretty good chance that something that would be like a, an eight out of 10 joke in real life is like a four or a five of a virtual because the real reason why people were laughing in real life is because the person next to them was laughing. Yeah. Like laughter is a social thing. So there's no social thing if you're in the house by yourself listening on headphones. It, it's not going to be as funny. So all of that, to, I'm, I'm not saying don't try to be funny, but what I am saying is if, you're, if your talk, if the success of your talk is contingent on do they laugh or not, you, you need to figure something else out. Good and stuff. you've seen, I mean, even like SNL, people on Saturday Night Live. So Saturday Night Live right now is paying people to be in the audience. Think about this. Yeah. I think if you attend S- SNL, I think you get paid $150. Why is that? Because it makes the people on stage, people who are paid to be on Saturday Night Live, who've been going to comedy school for their whole lives, it makes them feel more comfortable. And if you're at home, you hear other laughter and it tricks you into thinking it's funny. Yeah. So that is what has to happen on Saturday Night Live when they have a team of writers, people who went to Groundlings and all these things. I don't know, man. I don't have that background. Yeah. You and I are not that funny. Yeah. But there's some episodes of SNL that we are much funnier than. <laughs> <laughs> also true. Also true. Uh, Mike, always uh, appreciate the time, man. If people want to find out more about you and uh, what you're up to, where can we go? Yeah, buddy. Uh, MikeTalks.co. That's the website. And then... At Impact is the Instagram. It's a lot of pictures of my dog and family, but speaking tips dropped in there as well. All right. I'll make sure uh, people uh, head that direction because you have a lovely family. <laughs> <laughs> and I should say one more thing. I actually have a, a, uh, a set of virtual tips. I don't want to give like, all, I mean, I don't want to say every last one on here, but if you go to miketalks.co slash virtual, you'll be able to download those too. miketalks.co slash virtual. Slash virtual. Beautiful. Yeah, buddy. Thanks, man. Always a pleasure. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Speaker Lab Podcast. And before you take off, don't forget, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a rating and review within iTunes. We read every single one of those. It helps, it helps other people to find the show. Listen, we, we don't charge anything for you to listen to these. We don't have any ads or anything. We do this because we want to serve and support speakers like you. So one small favor we ask of you is that you would leave us some type of a rating and review. Again, we really, really do appreciate that. 
If you're looking for more help, support as a speaker as you build and grow your business at whatever stage you're at, don't forget to check out thespeakerlab.com, thespeakerlab.com. We got a ton of free resources and tools over there. So again, check it out over at thespeakerlab.com. All right, my friends, that wraps up today's episode. We appreciate you hanging out with us. We'll catch you next time. You're awesome.